welcome back to our podcast, Where Do I Know Them From? I'm Elizabeth. And I'm Alexandra. And this is the podcast where we pick an actor and review their entire filmography start to finish. This season we are doing Saoirse Ronan, and we are really excited for this episode this week. (laughs) Yeah, we are. I've got some very spicy letterboxed for you guys. I can't wait to hear them. My first one, I have gone mostly in order, but also all of them were basically the same, so the order doesn't (laughs) super matter. Two stars. All women are queens. If she breathes, she's a Scot. <laughs> Which is a reference to one of my favorite videos of all time. <laughs> 2.5 stars. Why did my primary school teacher never tell me Mary was a woke legend? We stand an LGBT ally. Oh, boy. 3.5 stars. Damn, Lady Bird got into some shit during her semester abroad, LMAO. Oh, no. I personally love that so many of the Letterboxd reviews about literally any Saoirse Ronan movie are about Lady Bird. Yeah, Lady Bird really has a vice grip on her whole vibe. Yeah. Too bad it's in our past and we're only moving into the future. Yeah, which is crazy because so many people when I say that we're doing her are like, oh, you mean from Grand Budapest Hotel? And I was like, you mean the movie she's on for two seconds? Two seconds, yeah. (laughs) But okay. All right, I got two more. Of course. 2.5 stars. Was it really necessary for Margot to look like a Pennywise slash Queen of Hearts love child? Actually, yes. <laughs> yeah, the second part of that is Google's Elizabeth I of England. Oh, okay. <laughs> That's hilarious to me because, yeah, throughout the movie she does, like, increasingly look very clownish. And we'll talk about that today. I like that you called her Elizabeth One. No, it's okay. <laughs> We're in it now. Elizabeth the First. Elizabeth One. It's like when you're a kid and you call all the first movies Shrek 1. Like, Shrek 1. Or like something 1. <laughs> and then finally, three stars, Men Are a Disease. Yeah. And honestly, never never has something been so true. Honestly, almost all of Sir Shonen's filmography, you could just say three stars, Men Are a Disease. Yeah. So if you can't tell from our Letterboxd reviews, our movie this week is Mary Queen of Scots, and it came out in 2018. Of course, this is all that I know about, and Alexandra will give you the rest of the details of the movie. All right. It was directed by Josie Rourke. It was written as a screenplay by Bo Willimon. It was based on The Life of Mary Queen of Scots, specifically John Gee's biography, My Heart is My Own, The Life of Mary Queen of Scots. Interesting. That sounds like it's going to be kind of romantic, and I don't think that it was. It is 125 minutes long. It has kind of a stacked cast. It has Saoirse Ronan as Mary Queen of Scots. Margot Robbie plays Queen Elizabeth I. A little history crash course for you guys. These two women are cousins. Uh, One of them is the Queen of England and one of them is the Queen of Scotland. You can tell which one is which. (laughs) And all you really need to know as background for this, we could tell you a lot more, is that Mary has a strong claim to the throne of England because Elizabeth I never marries and never has children. Uh, Jack Loudon plays Henry Darnley, Mary's second husband. She was first married to the King of France and then he died. Joe Alwyn plays Robert Dudley, Elizabeth's counselor and lover. Our London boy himself. (laughs) Yes, otherwise known as Taylor Swift's boyfriend. (laughs) David Tennant plays John Knox, who is the founder of the Church of Scotland. Guy Pearce is William Cecil, an advisor to Elizabeth. Gemma Chan is Bess of Hardwick, another friend of Elizabeth's. And Brenton Coyle is the Earl of Lennox. The score is by Max Richter, and I have to say I loved the score. Usually when we shout out who did the score in this, I do not have good things to say, but today I really, really liked it. So shout out to Max Richter. We love you. This movie was produced by Tim Bevan, Eric Fellner, Deborah Hayward, and it was distributed by Focus Features and Universal Pictures. So kind of a big deal movie. Um, the plot is in 1561, Mary Stuart, widow of the King of France, returns to Scotland, reclaims her rightful throne, 
and menaces the future of Queen Elizabeth I as ruler of England because she has a legitimate claim to the English throne. Betrayals, rebellions, conspiracies, and their own life choices imperil both queens. They experience the bitter cost of power until their tragic fate is finally fulfilled. That is one of the longer plot summaries I've ever read for this. Yeah, I think that in general, Letterboxd, which is where we get all our plots from, has really good synopses for historical dramas, but nothing else. That's fair. <laughs> that, I mean, that is exactly what happens. Yeah. Yeah, I got nothing else to add to that. Basically, like, they just kind of go back and forth. Ultimately, Mary is killed. Mm-hmm. I think more plot details will come out as we talk about it. Yeah. So just... Hold your horses on that one, yeah. folks. Yeah. Critical response this movie is overwhelmingly mid, and I think that we would agree with that, as all of the Letterboxd reviews that I read to you were, like, between two and three. Well, what's interesting about this one is that there's a really wide gap between the critic consensus and the audience ratings on all of the... That is interesting. Um, on Letterboxd, which is only audience ratings, it got a 3.1. Which is, you know, pretty middle of the road. But then on Rotten Tomatoes, it scored a 62% with critics and a 41% with audiences. That is crazy far. Yeah. And then on Metacritic, it received a 60 from critics and a 5.5 from audiences, which is a smaller gap, but still usually a bigger one than we see on that site. So I just thought it was really interesting how, like, people hated this movie, (laughs) but critics really liked it. The critic consensus from Rotten Tomatoes says Mary Queen of Scots delivers uneven period political thrills while offering a solid showcase for the talents of of well-matched leads. And I think that's pretty fair. Like, there are points of it, like, it's not very consistent, but the performances are really good. I would agree. I think that's probably why the critical scores are different is that it's, like, technically good and well put together, like, good acting, good score, good direction, like, it makes sense and everything, but it's just not fun to watch. Mm Mm-hmm. The whole time. The whole time. Yeah, it never gets better. Yeah. It's pretty long, too. It is really long. All right. A couple of notes on the production. Um, This was originally supposed to be a Scarlett Johansson vehicle. She was supposed to play Mary Queen of Scots, which is wild since she did not have the accent. Yeah, but she was coming out of her Girl with the Pearl Earring era. She was coming out of her historical drama era because this was supposed to originally be released in 2007. When wow. it was a ScarJo vehicle. So, so it, 11 years later. When she left the project, it kind of loitered in development hell, to use Wikipedia's words. <laughs> they didn't cast a new lead for the project, which was Saoirse Ronan, until 2012. Wow. And then after that, it took them five more years to cast Margot Robbie as Elizabeth I. This is maybe one of her longest term projects. I know. Interesting. And I just wonder, like, what do you do when, like, you're the only person that's been cast? Like, you just get emails about it every once in a while and like work out I guess I mean she did other movies so I guess you just know that in you know a couple years you're gonna have to do this role but like I guess with historical dramas too you probably have to research the character that's kind of crazy that in 2012 she was cast because she was like 18 in 2012 yeah but so was Mary Queen of Scots for most of this movie that's fair that's fair I guess I hold on would it have been better if she were younger when she shot this Nah. No, because they were kind of equivalent in age the whole time. Yeah, I think that that's probably a big part of why they picked Margot Robbie. Even though Elizabeth is much older than Mary Queen of Scots. Yeah. It was shot in the UK and in Scotland, which is one of our only movies that was actually shot, like, in the Where proper area. <laughs> but otherwise, the inaccuracies have been widely pointed out by many historians. They have heavily criticized Mary and Elizabeth's letters to each other the meeting that they show in the very end so at the very end of the movie the women have been kind of going back and forth between their letters like i deserve to be in charge of england make me your 
successor? And then Elizabeth says, no, how about not? And in the end of the movie, they kind of meet and there's this curtain in between them. So it's ambiguous as to whether or not they're actually seeing each other, but they definitely do see each other. And historians have criticized that because the women are not supposed to have ever met. Which I think of all of the criticisms that you're going to talk about is the weakest criticism because like you can't make this movie and never put them on the screen together. Yeah. That's just, it's not going to work. It doesn't, it's like unsatisfying. That's true. I do think that for a movie, it is important. They probably could have done, if the movie were better overall, they probably could have done a better climax without them meeting. But I do think that it was important for them to be on screen together at some point. Also, just it was good for these actresses to see each other. Actually, now that I'm thinking about it, though, I feel like probably it's a little bit more impactful to the story well, I guess it's it starts at the beginning. Whatever. It happened literally 500 years ago. Why am I worried about spoiling <laughs> yeah. the plot? Okay, because this movie has the execution of Mary Queen of Scots in it, I feel like that's almost heavier. I'm going to go back on my own opinion. It's almost heavier if you realize they never met each other. Like, she literally had her sentenced to death for treason that's and true. conspiracy to overthrow the monarchy. Well, I mean, I guess overthrow her, Elizabeth I. Like, she literally censored a death, and they never met. That is interesting, because one of our things that we want to talk about today is, as always, postmodern storytelling. This movie starts on Mary's execution. We basically see both of the women shot from the back, not their faces, and they kind of move through that day. Up until Mary's, like, shift is torn off, they reveal, like, a red execution dress, which is really mm-hmm. great, because red is the color of England political statement. We love a, a girl power moment. Mm-hmm even when you're about to get killed. (laughs) But then she lays her head down on the execution block because she was beheaded. Then finally we see Saoirse Ronan's face from beneath, which I don't know why they made that choice since we obviously know that the movie is about them. To demonstrate how people are looking at them, I think. To demonstrate that they're an important person because, like, we are following behind them so we get to see everyone that's looking at them. I don't think it's supposed to be, like, a reveal kind of thing. Yeah. But... Throughout that entire scene, we did not get any dialogue. And then at the end of the movie, they show it all again, but with the dialogue and with more scenes filled in. And of course, also with their faces. So I wonder, since that's one of the only real elements of postmodernism in this story is that they just show us the end at the beginning. Mm -hmm. Would it have been stronger if we didn't know that that was going to be the end? No, it happened 500 years ago. We know it's going to be the end. (laughs) I also think that, okay, one of the other criticisms of the movie, is that the movie kind of paints them as, like, that they were friends and, like, communicating with each other and that they, like, saw each other as equals and were very kind. But, like, in reality, there is, like, some degree of amicability in those letters, but, like, it's pretty clear that Mary never sees Elizabeth as an equal and that they both saw each other as rivals for this position from the start. So I think that opening with the execution paints them as rivals initially right and then you get you see all this complicated background which may or may not be true about how like they actually might have been friends or saw each other amicably these kinds of things so as much as it may not be historically accurate to paint them as friends I think that starting with the execution and then jumping into a story where they're for the most part being respectful of each other while trying to dethrone the other one (laughs) and remove their political power makes a more compelling story I wonder if this like the postmodernism here and the way that they chose to line up the story introduces an element of 
inevitability and what the question of whether or not anything is inevitable, which is a question that I love to bring up in, <laughs> in studying history, particularly when I'm talking to my students about it. But I just think that starting with the execution is such a strong statement since most people who know anything about them know that Mary was killed. So starting with it maybe introduces the question of like, like, did it have to go that way? Yeah. And since they are kind of friendly, like you said, maybe they didn't, you know. One other thing that is a critique of this movie, and I think it launches us into a little discussion of casting, is that there is probably no reality in which Mary Queen of Scots had a Scottish accent. Mm -hmm. In this movie, Sir Ronan puts on a very strong Scottish accent. But Mary had lived in France since the age of five, and she was about 18 when this movie begins. So there's really no reason for her to have had a Scottish accent. In fact, she probably should have had a French one. Mm-hmm. So why do you think that Sir Sherman put that accent on? I feel several ways about this. I'm glad you asked. At first, I was like, okay, it's so that we automatically associate her with the country. Like, okay. we automatically understand that she is most interested in doing what's best for Scotland. I think if she comes in with a French accent, we're like, oh, she has ulterior motives. Okay. Because we American viewers know that the French are evil. That's right. <laughs> Not really. But, like, I think that it, like, sonically aligns her with the people she's talking to. It demonstrates that, like, she speaks their language, even though they're all speaking the same language. Or, yeah, they're all speaking English. But, you know. So, like, it, there's that element of it, of, like, she is the same as them. But I feel like her having a different accent from all of the men that are upset at her, like if she came in with a French accent, that would highlight all of the <laughs> all of the discrepancies within the court of people that like don't think that she can be in charge of Scotland or like she doesn't know enough about it or any of these things. But I also think that that, if they made that character choice, would have downplayed her girl boss energy. Like, I think she would have come off as more insecure by, like, not sounding the same as everyone else. Yeah. Now, that's all very big brain, if I do say so myself, but I think that the real reason that she doesn't do a French accent is because we've never seen Saoirse Ronan do a French accent, and I'm not convinced she can. Interesting. That's fair. I guess the last time we saw her do a Scottish accent, though, we heavily critiqued that from death but that was acts. so early, and hers was the best of all of the bad ones. That's true. And it's good here, so she can clearly do it. Yeah. I think that you're probably right that it, in terms of, like, storytelling, does kind of cement her relationship with her country, with her people. Mm -hmm. But at the same time, it would have been interesting for her to have a French accent because the other, like, most strong Scottish accent from David Tennant, who plays John Knox, who basically has nothing good to say about her. <laughs> At one point, he calls her a polecat who is better than Italian, which I think is really funny. Also, just, like, basically literally everything he said about her was like, that woman's a whore. Yeah. He had some really sick diss tracks in this, uh, yeah. in this movie. Honestly, though, like, other than the fact that at the end there was sort of a battle between, like, supporters of Mary and people who wanted her to not be on the throne anymore, which is ultimately what led her to having to flee to England and then get executed, I didn't feel like David Tennant needed to be in the movie. He and Mary never met. It was just kind of like every so often we would flash to him stirring up some dissent. I think that him stirring up some dissent demonstrates why Mary has to leave and go to England. Because without that piece, it isn't clear. I mean, it's still really, I don't think they do a good job of this. But like at the end of the movie, she's writing her sister and she's like, can I please come to England to be with you? Everyone in my country hates me because they think I'm a whore and that I'm not committed to the church. 
And I think that that religious element is really important. It's not very interesting. Like, Mm -hmm. just him getting more and more people to think she's bad is not, like, visually interesting. So I think that it's a good way to, like, cutting in between those is, like, a good way to demonstrate the rhetoric against her and popular dissent growing. It's a good way to incorporate that element because otherwise it doesn't make sense. Like, if you cut John Knox out, it's just, like, why would you go to the home of your rival? Of course she's going to execute you. Yeah. I guess I guess I just wish they had kind of incorporated, like, the religious and the political element better. It seemed like they were focusing a little too much on the romance. But I guess without making a documentary, it would be hard to, like, pull everything together, especially since the movie was already so long. Yeah. I don't think this movie did the politics well, but I don't think it intended to. Yeah. Honestly, because though... it's boring. I'll say it. <laughs> Nobody cares. Read a book. <laughs> there are so many books about that. Yeah. I don't think the point of the movie is to talk about Elizabethan politics. But neither was it really to talk about the romance because, like, all the romances were fucking awful. No, I think this movie was trying to be kind of girl boss. I don't think it succeeded. Do you? No, but I think that it was trying to, like, take advantage of, like, strong female leads and historical dramas that were both very popular at the time. And I think that, like... The point, it's to, like, take a look at the relationship between these two powerful women who are sometimes, like, not discussed in conjunction with other, I mean, Elizabeth I less so, everybody be talking about her all the time, but, like, just demonstrate, like, the validity and prevalence of lady monarchs. That's fair. It seems like a lot of their relationship is kind of caught up in looks, which is crazy since they never meet. It's just in portraits, and we've we've been knowing that portraits at that time were kind of whack. So do you think that there's an element of that here? Yeah, I think it's kind of one-sided, though. I don't think that Mary, Queen of Scots, was, was ever like, dang, she's prettier than me. But there's very much that vibe coming from Elizabeth. I think that this movie kind of does Elizabeth the first really dirty. Yeah. She begins the movie very shallow. Like, she's concerned about the way that Mary looks and that she's prettier than her. And, like, she's shot in these pretty rooms filled with pretty people and more than just pretty people, like, people that were made up and are, like, wearing elaborate clothing and have intricate hairstyles. Whereas when we see the Scottish court, like, they're more barefaced. They have elaborate braids, but just because, like, they're Scottish and they're, like, traditionally whatever. And... So I feel like we immediately cast Elizabeth in this, like, very shallow, vain light. And then throughout the movie, she just gets crazier and crazier and crazier. And she becomes this, like, mad woman figure to the point where she doesn't even physically look the same. Like, she's covered in, like, thick white face makeup. You know, she, like, doesn't have eyebrows. She's wearing bigger and bigger wigs in every scene that we see her in. So she's basically unrecognizable at the end of the movie and also very inhuman. Like, she loses her humanity. So I don't think that's very kind to her. (laughs) Yeah, at some point in the movie, Elizabeth, they were supposed to meet, I think, and then Elizabeth falls ill with something, like a pox or something. I think she gets smallpox. Yeah. Yeah. So then after that point, she has, like, these terrible scars all over her face, which already kind of dehumanizes her, right? It makes her look less like a person, less less put together, and so that's kind of why she starts to cake on all this white makeup, which Mm -hmm. the Letterboxd Review alluded to. And I think you're right that it's supposed to make her seem, like, more detached from reality, less human, less likable. Mm-hmm. During their one meeting scene, though, she takes her wig off. We see that she has, like, basically no hair and mm-hmm. no eyebrows. Do you think that 
she is humanized at that point? I think that it's supposed to be a humanizing moment, but here's the problem. (laughs) We already have the whole scene with her in the pox, so, like, we, the audience, already see her as a person. I don't understand what the point of her taking her wig off at all is, other than that she may be, like, expressing vulnerability. Yeah. That she's, like, trying to be on an even playing field with Mary and, like, level with her. Yeah. Express her insecurities. But I don't think it works. Yeah, even up to that point, like, they're in that scene calling each other sisters and, like, talking to each other. Then Mary, I guess, insults her a final time and they just are irrevocably apart. That meeting scene is really interesting to me because I feel like it doesn't accomplish anything. There's all those little curtains, which I think you're right, is about them, like, having not actually met ever. Like It, like, tricks your eyeballs <laughs> enough or, like, visually signifies to you that, like, this is shrouded in mystery that it may not have actually happened. It's supposed to be, like, mm, we don't know if this happened, so we'll just put it behind a screen. <laughs> but I don't think that any of that is worth it. Like, what we take away from the movie is not changed based on that scene, to my knowledge. I think that that is maybe one of my biggest critiques with this movie, is that there were so many technical choices going on, like with the lighting and the framing and the costuming, but none of them feel like they meant anything. So it was just kind of, like, elaborate for nothing. And maybe it was elaborate to show, like, that they're both wealthy and they're queens or whatever, but it was just boring None of the colors really said anything other than she was wearing that red execution dress and one of them was gold and one of them was blue, but not for any really good reason it didn't seem. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Do you you agree with that or do you think that there were some things that I'm missing? I think that red and blue are important, but not in a spicy way, only politically. Mary has a lot of blue on all the time because it's the color of Scotland. The Scottish flag is blue. Until the end when she's executed and she's wearing red as a political statement, which you've already pointed out. And then there's a scene where they're, like, going to fight or something like that. Or maybe there's a scene where red and blue happen together and it's supposed to demonstrate, like, conflict. Yeah, they do have one fighting scene where uh, Mary wears armor and her armor is pretty dope. So I'm not going to (laughs) say that the costuming is bad or anything. I just felt like they could have done more with it. I don't even think they could have done more with it. I think that they did a lot. It's just I didn't like any of it. That's okay. That's (laughs) fair. I didn't feel like any of it was commendable. I liked the armor. I know what you're talking about. I hated the hair, but I always hate (laughs) Tudor hair. I've never seen a movie that takes place in Tudor England where I thought, wow, what great hair they have right now. Um, But yeah, I just, I don't know. I think that the, the costuming wasn't like, super great or super historically accurate or anything like that they didn't like recreate anybody's like iconic look or Mm -hmm. anything i kind of wish they had yeah it was just kind of fine like it was good it matched the vibe of the whole thing but it wasn't like exceptional i guess yeah i do think though that the makeup like we were saying was kind of exceptional the makeup was really good her brother though mary queen of scots's brother other than wearing a headband the whole movie which was really throwing (laughs) me off i was like is that man wearing a headband or not he had some crazy eyeshadow he was wearing an insane amount of eyeshadow and i'm (laughs) thinking that maybe it's just because he was supposed to be cast as a villain and so he had like darker eyes yeah i think he was supposed to be kind of like rugged dark edgy so he had some pretty intense eyeliner but he was the only one so i don't really know why yeah 
I think, yeah, that's one of my, my other critiques is that, like, I wish that some of the makeup and other technical choices had been more consistent. Mm-hmm. But it's okay. <laughs> it's whatever. <laughs> yeah. I think the more interesting parts of this movie were about the sex and the relationships. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. All the men in this movie kind of sucked. I'm not going to lie, except David. David, our non-binary king. Oh. Um, <laughs> I thought you meant David Tennant. I was like, no, he was the worst one. <laughs> yeah. No, yes, David, our non-binary king. Okay. The history of sexuality is complicated, and I just wanted to take a minute to explain David Rizzio's character. He is not explicitly non-binary. He uses he, him pronouns. Everyone refers to him with he, him pronouns and his name, which is David or Rizzio. That's his last name. He's one of Mary's, like, ladies' maids, essentially, right? Yeah. In one part of the movie, he is wearing women's clothing. So, like, you could read this in a number of words that we have now. So it's, like, it's ambiguous. But the point is that he's gender nonconforming. Mm. He's some flavor of queer. And this makes him evil yes, to the men evil. only. To the men only. All the men, except Joe Alwyn, who never really does that much. He goes to Scotland and then comes right back. All the men basically seem just out there to exploit Mary, except for David. Yeah, but even Joe Alwyn's character, what's his name? Robert Dudley. Yeah. Even Robert Dudley is trying to exploit Mary because he's, like, trying to get in there and create an alliance between England and Scotland so that, like, it destabilizes Mary's power. I was really hoping, since this movie kind of seems to focus on romance, that I was hoping that she would finally get a good one. But yeah, instead, no. Mary <laughs> was subjected to a series of bad romances. Yeah. At the beginning, we see her, like, re-entering Scotland, and she's wearing black because she's presumably mourning her French king husband, which, honestly, I would mourn that I was married to a king, too. Then she pretty quickly gets married again. Mm -hmm. I think she's married twice in this movie, right? Yes. Almost immediately after she rejects Joe Alwyn, who Elizabeth has sent to her as, like, a, could you marry this man, and then... I would maybe accept that you were going to be my successor because I'm in love with him. She instead rejects him and marries this man named Darnley. And at first it seems like they might get along well, like they have a fine-ish relationship until basically the day of their marriage, at which point she realizes that he is gay, I think, or at least attracted to men, and yeah. having an affair with her courtier, David Rizzio. Uh, this immediately becomes a problem because uh, after she discovers that he is sleeping with David, she, one, kind of rapes him. It's not quite rape because neither party is consenting. <laughs> like, she very aggressively pursues sex with him because she needs to have a child. And he then also kind of aggressively pursues sex with her, maybe just to get his anger out. And it is awful the whole time. Yeah. But yeah, the whole time I was just like, this is deeply, deeply uncomfortable, but neither of them is not consenting, but neither of them is consenting either. Yeah. It was just like terrible. And then later, his sexuality becomes an issue because all of Mary's courtiers are like trying to point fingers at her and also at him and say like, all these things, all these plots are going on. And eventually they kind of get to this scapegoat of David Rizzio, who was her courtier, the non-binary person we were talking about earlier. And they kind of just all converge on her chambers or her rooms and stab David to death, like, multiple times, which is awful. All the ladies are fine with him. Yeah. Until, of course, they have to save him, and then they're like, whoop! <laughs> but yeah, it's very, very sad, and it makes me very upset. 
The question of consensual sex is really interesting to me here because it almost seems like consensual sex never creates a child's because Elizabeth I is implied to be having a lot of sex with Robert Dudley and they never have a kid. But also this weird dual rape that cancels each other out into into being fine, I guess, nobody's mad about it later, creates Mary's only child only in child. the movie ever. Okay, yeah, only who child. Who James, James the first of England, James the sixth of Scotland. Yes, and that movie ends with him ascending the throne of England to unite the two kingdoms, making the United Kingdom. Which I think comes back to your your question of inevitability because it's like Elizabeth fights her whole life to make Mary, like to invalidate Mary's claim to the throne and to like keep her from taking over Elizabeth's power but as soon as elizabeth dies because elizabeth didn't have an heir james the first of england sixth of scotland takes over and unites the kingdom so it's like mary got her way in the end even though elizabeth killed her Mm -hmm. so yeah i think that it comes all the way back around to what you were saying before i do think the sex in this movie is interesting because like the first time that we see any sex in the movie at all it is between elizabeth and robert dunley Mm -hmm. and it is kind of cut with the scene of mary pre-wedding or pre her second wedding, telling us that her only sexual encounter was with her first husband Mm -hmm. and that they had had sex, like, one time. And all of her ladies' maids are like, what? Wow, how crazy. And that they were in love. Yeah. I think it's important to have a little bit of background that she really loved her French husband, allegedly, in this movie and historically. Mm -hmm. And I think that that makes the rest of her encounters very tragic. Just, like, a series of men that were, like, mistreating her abusing her you know using her for her power all these kinds of things yeah especially since like her first her first husband post that like love both does not love her and only wants power Mm -hmm. and then i guess maybe i don't i don't know if she reads it as a betrayal that he is in love with david or at least was sleeping with david on her wedding day Mm -hmm. but she's certainly upset with him Yeah, I can't, I don't know how to read that because I don't think that we're supposed to think that Robert Darnley is exclusively interested in men because he, like, has kind of a reputation of being, like, a player. Yeah. So I think that he just might like everybody. And I think that she might be more upset about him cheating on her than about him liking men because she seems very okay with Rizzio and his whatever, however he expresses his sexuality and gender does not bother Mary But it definitely does bother her that Robert Darnley has either... It might just be that he lied. It might just be that he cheated on her, like, any of these things. Yeah. So she definitely seems more upset about that. Yeah. I think also maybe the reason that we see Mary having so many what we might consider failed sexual encounters in that it did not look... Enjoyable. Enjoyable at any point. Yeah. Which is a theme for Saoirse now. Yeah. Um, is maybe just, like, to make it, one, look more like a period piece, and two, to kind of make her look more uncomfortable, because frequently after she has sex with someone, which I guess they don't actually have sex all that often, but mm-hmm. whenever she has sex with someone, like, all her homies come back in, and all his homies come back in, and it's just, like, yeah, just hanging out. Yeah, it's super uncomfortable. I feel this way about a lot of period pieces about this specific era in general. I feel like there is a lot of sex always, which is so interesting because never ever once have I been like, wow, that's that's a truly excellent romantic sex scene. Mm-hmm. I feel like it may be just like imperative of the genre 
to have uncomfortable sexual encounters. Yeah. And I don't know what the purpose of that really is other than to demonstrate, like, how messy social and political relationships were, to demonstrate how, like, different things are from now. Is it supposed to make us feel bad for either? Like, I could argue that it's supposed to make us feel bad for Mary because she's having all of these, like, truly traumatic experiences. But then also, like, she rapes her husband. Like, she forces him to have sex with her. Yeah. And even though, like, it comes from a place of hurt and it comes from wanting to have a child so that she never has to interact with him ever again, it's still rape. Like, cool motive, still a crime. (laughs) Yeah. This sex is always so interesting to me in these kinds of period pieces because I just feel like they are always terrible and gratuitous is like, yeah. And for some reason, like we as a society just have encoded the Tudor monarchy as deeply sexy, which it definitely, definitely was not just because Henry VIII be fucking doesn't mean that it was all sunshine and rainbows. You guys, it was, there was a lot of murder. (laughs) Yeah. I do think even though we've kind of gone back and forth on whether or not Mary raped her second husband, Robert Darnley, because it was kind of like that, that neither of them was consenting at her third marriage with that other man, she definitely was raped. Like, he yeah. raped her mm-hmm. not only, not even during their marriage. Like, he basically pulled her into his castle and was like, you are going to have sex with me right now and we're getting married. Yeah. And she was not consenting at their wedding. She was wearing black and was cut with this terrible, terrible rape scene. Yeah. She was deeply depressed. That m- might have been one of the things that, like, pushed her finally out of the country in into England. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, that one was, that one was tough for me. (laughs) I don't know. I don't really have anything to say about it. I think one other thing about the sex here is we've kind of been commenting about how unsuccessfully this movie deals with politics. Mm -hmm. And I felt like her her second marriage with Darnley a little bit fell apart. One, because they didn't like each other and they did not have good sex or a good relationship. He was also really upset that she couldn't give him any power. There's multiple scenes in which he's like, give me some degree of power, like, let this be a partnership. And in one scene, he even says, I want you to be treated like a proper wife, you know, Mm -hmm. which is some interesting gender commentary. But I think it's also just like maybe trying to pull politics into her sexual relationships and her romantic relationships and saying like every encounter that she has is deeply political because she is the queen. But I still think that it didn't do enough there. Yeah. I feel like there's, like, this weird fascination or connotation with things being, like, carnal or, like, cutthroat. I feel like usually in these kinds of movies, we get some kind of scene where there's, like, a feast or someone is eating and it's, like, an uncomfortable scene. Mm -hmm. So I think that there's, like, supposed to be some sort of commentary being made about, like, how animalistic these encounters are but also how like ruthless and cutthroat they are that you would force your husband to have sex with you just so you could have a child or like that he would force you to have sex with him so that he has a legitimate claim to marrying you like yeah yeah so probably something there too i just feel like i don't know this movie was so deeply unsatisfying for me and probably also (laughs) for mary since she had a lot of terrible sex in it i don't have a lot else to say about this movie since we've kind of just continued to say that it didn't seem to land for us like all the symbols the technical choices they were just kind of were there and they weren't really sparking anything for me yeah in the end when she's being executed and we are listening to why it's outside and there is snow on the ground outside and i thought that that was nice because it's like wow it is rebirth it is covering the ground in purity and from this the united kingdom will spring 
in the spring. And then we saw James. <laughs> and then we the saw throne. James sitting on the throne. But other than that, I was like, wow, none of these symbols are fun. Yeah. I think overall for me, this movie is maybe a 2.5. Oh, wow. Or maybe a 3. Oh, boy. Just because, like... It's pretty low. It wasn't fun to watch. Okay. You know, I'm a simple girl. I love period romance. It is my thing. And yet this did not deliver on the period romance, the period politics, the period religion, the period girl power, literally anything. I would give it three and a half stars. I think I would give Saoirse Ronan five stars. Me too. (laughs) I thought that she did really good. And her posture was really bad for the whole movie. And that made me feel really seen because... (laughs) She was taller than a lot of the people she was interacting with, probably because of heeled shoes. But because yeah. <laughs> she's like a normal height. I think she might be like 5'8 or 5'10 or something That's like that. That's tall. Right. But she's like not 6'2. Yeah. <laughs> she was like her, hunched over her a shoulders bit. and neck were very much forward in the movie. Anyway, that's how I am all the time. So I felt very seen. I do think that she really excels in a period drama. Yeah, she does a really good job. And mm-hmm. I think she did a good job. In this one in particular. Yeah. I would like to shout out our friend Jordan, who I learned while prepping for this episode, has a Mary Queen of Scots tattoo on her back. It says, in my end is my beginning. And I just think that that's really neat. And I think that more people should have history-inspired tattoos. I'm adding it to my list of history-inspired tattoos. Yeah. PSA, go get a tattoo. Make it history-inspired. Don't be sad. Go get a tattoo. Yeah. All right. Well, thank you guys so much for listening. And tune in next week for our next period drama.